hear the word of the Lord now from Isaiah 9, verse 6. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's be seated. I think I heard some people clapping. I don't know what I think about that. I mean, it's really dangerous, you know. First they start clapping at college church, next it's heresy. It's a slippery slope. I mean, they'll be dancing the aisles, and who knows what will happen then. My goodness, you know, they'll be dancing together. We don't want that. And, you know, they'll say in years to come, it all began at that moment. They clapped, and then they denied the incarnation. There's a connection. There is. There really is. So you better watch out. The clapping. My goodness. What's happening? And it's Christmas too. Do you, do you have happiness at Christmas? Really? No. That was actually pretty good, wasn't it? That was good. It's church folk, uh, which is something that uh, the team has been putting together. It's really, really excellent. It's growing and developing and... They've actually got three or four recording contracts, but we're, we're keeping that quiet. And, you know, that's how we're doing the staffing alignment. He's making a ton of money, but shh. So. Okay. So Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Turn with me in your Bibles to that, and let's pray as we get into God's Word. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, so much for your Word, especially at Christmas. And we pray that uh, this morning, this Word to us will be joy Joy, joy, in the name of Jesus, amen. So Isaiah chapter 9, and as I say, as we just had read out, it's verse 6, and we're looking this morning particularly at uh, the name Wonderful Counselor. So today's Wonderful Counselor, Christmas Eve is going to be Mighty God, and then Christmas um, Sunday morning is going to be a two-hour exposition with no illustrations on Prince of Peace. So this, uh, this morning is Wonderful Counselor. And of course, uh, that name is very familiar from Handel's Messiah. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor. I'm getting into training for singing. I'll be, um, that's what we'll be doing Christmas Sunday morning. I'll be doing a solo. We'll be packed out. Um, So, wonderful counselor this morning. As I say, Christmas Eve, do bring friends back for that. It is a wonderful opportunity to invite friends to church. Christmas Eve, both the four o'clock and then the two candlelight services, seven and nine. We'll be looking at Mighty God, but today, wonderful counselor. It is a beautiful, evocative passage, very well known. Uh, We may have learnt it, we may be able to memorize it, may have it memorized, we may be able to recite it. What I want to do is, uh, this morning is, first of all, just set a little bit in context, then look at the name itself and then apply it, okay? So that's the uh, game plan this morning, uh, a little bit in context, then the name itself, and then apply it. So if you have your Bible open, you'll notice that it uh, begins uh, in uh, this section in verse 1. It really goes from verse 1 through to verse 7, 
And it's an emphasis on light and hope. And so the prophet Isaiah, a lot of this is actually in the past tense. So he wrote this, of course, many, many years before Jesus came. It's about the coming of the Christ. You know, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, right? So it's about this coming of the Christ, and it was all written in the past tense, which is a prophetic technique, but more than a technique, a reality that he was so convinced under God's inspiration of this eventual coming of the Christ, that he could write about it in the past tense as if it was already there. So verse 2, it's not the people walking in darkness will see a great light. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And then verse 3, not uh, you will enlarge the nation and one day you will increase their joy, but you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. So certain is it. I want to emphasize that for you. Sometimes we think of God's promises as a little bit uncertain, indefinite, temporary, not something you can rest upon. But when you really begin to grasp the profundity of who God is and that all his promises are yea and amen in Christ, yes and amen in Christ, certain, definite. You can rest your life upon it. And Isaiah knew that, and so he even could describe them as having happened. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could get to the place in our Christian faith where we could describe the realities of the new heaven and the new earth as so certain as having happened in a sense? There is no doubt Christ will return. And of course at Advent we need to remember not just his first coming but his second coming and it, it will happen in a sense, in a prophetic way, it has happened. It is so definite. That's a hard place to live, but it is the reality that God's plan cannot be thwarted, cannot be diverted or changed or fail. So it's in the past tense, but I also want you to notice the um, evocative uh, language, not because I'm trying to write some poetry for this morning, though actually I do write poetry, by the way, and and, um, um, that's also what I'm going to share on Sunday morning, some of my own private poems. No. but uh, because, not because it's uh, just beautiful language, though it is, but because it's saying something prof- profound about the original historical context, the backstory, which will then help us apply the text. So I want you to notice this picture language. So chapter 9, verse 1, nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom. So that's picture language, gloom. You know, it's sort of um, hazy, dark, and it evokes a feeling. Um, for those who were in distress. And the Parsi humbled the land, these lands of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, I'll refer to them again. But in the future, who honor Galilee of the Gentiles, uh, looking forward to, of course, um, Jesus, by the way of the sea, along the Jordan. This is a text that's quoted in Matthew's Gospel that Jesus uh, fulfills. And then you get this, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. So throughout this passage, there's this contrast between, on the one hand, darkness, and on the other hand, great light. So if we're to see what um, the prophet is wanting us to see, we need to conjure up in our minds the darkest place we can think of. Maybe uh, it's your closet at home. You turn off the light, 
shut the door, there's no window and it's just dark. Or maybe it's the basement, you go down, the lights have uh, failed for some reason, it's a flood or something like that. Or there's even more snow than there was today, and it's a storm, and the light's out, right? But you've got to go down to the basement, you don't have any windows there, and it is dark. Or maybe if you come from the countryside, you're not a, not a city person in origin, you've been in the countryside and you've been on a, on a night where there's no moon and it's cloud cover and it's just pitch black dark. So you're right there in the darkness and then suddenly there's a floodlight. So that's, that's the, do you see, do, can you see the picture? People walking in darkness, they're stumbling along, they don't know where they're going, and then light, like plum, right? It doesn't have plum in the text, but you get my point. Now, what was this darkness? Well, if you have a Bible open, you'll see chapter 8, verse 22, where it talks a little bit more about this darkness. Um, They'll look toward the earth, uh, verse 22, see any distress and darkness. The darkness was... The invasion of Assyria into the northern kingdom, and Ahaz, who is king of the southern kingdom, had refused Isaiah's word to him, which was trust in God. So the northern kingdom, this is a little bit complicated, but I want to tell you a bit of the backstory. Just pretend it's like, you know, a Star Wars backstory, right? And then you can be really interested, you know, the prequel and all that sort of thing. So here it is. So the northern kingdom invaded the southern kingdom, to force the southern kingdom to join it to fight against Assyria, okay? So Ahaz, part of the southern kingdom, hears from Isaiah, God's prophet, what he should do about it. And basically, what Isaiah says to him is this, do nothing. Trust in God. And Ahaz, being a practical man of the world, says to himself, you've got to be kidding. I can't do nothing. I, what, what are you talking about, Isaiah? I'm not just going to do nothing. And so instead of trusting in God, he goes off and makes an alliance with Assyria, the pagan superpower. And the northern kingdom goes into exile And the southern kingdom will eventually also go into exile, but in the meantime is no longer really David's throne. In effect, it's dominated by Assyria and then Babylon, of course, Persia, Greek, Rome, until the great light. For to us, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government, that is the kingdom, will be on his shoulders Now, I want you to understand this context, not just because it's evocative and interesting and intriguing, but because throughout the book of Isaiah, there is this constant theme, which is a very simple message, which is simply this, trust in God. And in many ways, Isaiah is the parallel book in the Bible to Romans in the New Testament. Of course, Romans is about justification by faith. What Isaiah is saying is that same faith not only works in your sort of personal, devotional relationship to God, but also works on Mondays. It also works in your family. It also works at at work. In case you don't, you know, yet kind of jump into my framework of what Isaiah is about, this is how Alec Matea, the great commentator on Isaiah, puts it. 
It's a little short quotation from Alec Mateer. He says this, justification by faith, this is what he says is the message of the book of Isaiah, justification by faith is not a Sunday truth bearing only on our relationship with God, but also a Monday truth for the conduct of life in all its challenges. That's the message of Isaiah. That was the message of Isaiah to Ahaz. Uh, don't go and make an alliance with Assyria. Do nothing. Trust in God. And Ahaz cannot get his mind around it. It sounds too impractical. He's got to do something. He's about to be invaded. And so he does the most practical thing, which is find the biggest bully, the biggest power around, make an alliance with that power. And actually, he goes up to Assyria, the capital of Assyria. He goes there and takes note of how they do their worship to the pagan gods, including the temple, comes back with plans, instructs that a similar a similar altar be built in the temple of Jerusalem and pagan worship there begins. All because he could not get his mind and his heart around this very simple message, do nothing, trust in God. It is so easy, isn't it, for, for, and I find this just as much as any of us do, it is so easy for us to think of God as simply an idea or if he's real as someone who's only relevant to Sunday, to worship in the sense of corporate worship, gathered worship, rather than the sense of my family, my business, my um, psychological hang-ups, what I'm feeling inside, whether I'm feeling happy or depressed right now, my, my relationship with my parents or my wife or my children or and think, well, yeah, I've got God, and he's in a little box over here, and I'll sing Christmas songs about him, but when it comes to these practical matters, I can't trust in God. And Isaiah is saying, no, when you trust in God about these practical matters, he, because he is real, intervenes and acts, and you can trust him. So that's, that's the context of this uh, passage. That's, what's, that's the context of this book, Trust in God. Now you'll be saying, what does it mean, though, to trust in God? Well, let me give you one definition by a Puritan called William Ames from the 17th century in a book he wrote called The Medulla Theologica. Well, you can tweet that afterwards. I'll give it to you. It goes like this. He says, faith or trust in God, faith is a resting of the heart on God. That's what Isaiah is calling Ahaz to, to rest his heart on God. But he didn't. And the point of Isaiah 9 is there is a new person that we can rest our heart upon, namely this child, the Christ. So again, verse 2, the people walking in darkness, seen a great light. Those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. 
Because of this, verse 3, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. I want you to notice a repetition here. Increase their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. Actually, the name joy there is uh, three times. In that translation, it sounds like it's four, but really it's three times. And as in earlier in Isaiah, God is described as holy, 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 a Hebraic way of emphasizing that is God is not just holy, he's holy, holy. He's not just holy, holy, he's holy, holy, holy. That is beyond your wildest dreams, holy. Similarly here, this joy that comes through trusting in the Christ child is not just joy, it's joy, joy. And it's not just joy, joy, it's joy, joy, joy. That's what's on offer. Joy, joy, joy. And you say, well, that sounds great, but how can I believe it? You Christians, you're just so gullible, you'll believe anything. Well, I do agree that we should not believe in everything. There are some things we should not believe in. The great uh, preacher A.W. Tozer put it like this, a bit of healthy disbelief is sometimes as needful as faith to the welfare of our souls. Some things we should not believe. There are some products being marketed that we should not accept. This is not a message about believe and it will change you. It's about believing in this message, this truth. And then comes joy, joy, joy. We say, well, how do I know that? Well, Isaiah gives three reasons there in verse 4, verse 5, and verse 6. Each in the original begins with four or because. Why should we have, where does this joy, joy come from? Why should I trust in this? Four, verse 4, and then again, 4, verse 5, and then ultimately and finally and fully, the third 4, verse 6. So 4, verse, verse 4. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. First reason why you should get joy from trusting in Jesus is that his kingdom gives liberty. This is what the oppressed, the marginalized, those in slavery, those who have been under dictatorships have found throughout human history and are finding right now again. This is why the church is growing in China. This is why it's exploding across the world in Muslim countries because when the kingdom comes, you are set at liberty. Now, inside, to some extent in your relationships with others, finally in the day to come, there is liberty and therefore there is joy. That's the first reason. Second reason, verse 5, for every every for every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. In other words, not only is there liberty, there's victory. So this kingdom of God that was proclaimed in Galilee of the Gentiles as Jesus then fulfilled the prof- prophecy of the Isaiah when he went about preaching repent for the kingdom of heaven is, is at hand, is near, was preached then, exploded throughout the Roman Empire, went across Europe and to America and to the Far East now. This is bringing not simply liberty but also victory. 
And we sense some of that now. And it will be finally fulfilled when Jesus returns. And then the final reason, and the ultimate reason, is not just liberty, but victory. Not just those two, but verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The emphasis there in the original is less on the to us and more on the child. Literally, because child born to us, son given to us. So the picture is less, oh, I've got something for you, and by the way, it's a child, and more child for you, son given to you. Of course, what that does is it puts front and center the fundamental reorientation that needs to take place if we're to experience the joy, the true joy of Christmas, and that is this. If we look outside, we have reason to fear. If we look inside, we have reason to despair. But when we look at Christ, we have reason to rejoice. And so the child, in all his majestic glory, the government will be on his shoulders. That child must become the filling of our vision. And then whether we have reasons to rejoice outside or inside or not, we have a reason to rejoice that cannot, cannot be taken away from us. So what one Puritan poem put it like this, O Son of God and Son of Man, Thou Word incarnate, did suffer, rise, ascend for my sake. Thy departure was not a token of separation, but a pledge of return. O God, keep me in this faith, in this faith, and ever looking for Christ's return. He has come, he will come again, or in Isaiah's prophetic language, he has come again, so certain is it. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. In other words, no longer will the government be on the oppressor, oppressing the oppressed, but now the rule, the kingdom, is upon Christ's shoulders. And he bears that burden for us. So that is the context. And this morning we're looking at wonderful counselor, Christmas Eve, mighty God. Christmas Sunday morning, Prince of Peace. We're not looking at the, the everlasting father name. Just a brief word on that if it confuses you. Some people are confused by why Christ, the son, could ever be called everlasting father. Well, what you have to understand is that Isaiah is not thinking in New Testament terms. He's not making a Trinitarian claim in that regard. What he is saying is that Christ is fatherly to us and has fatherly care for us. And how important that is. A study done by Oxford University showed that a study of 20,000 children going on since the 1950s has shown that children who do not have active or good or caring fathers are much more likely to commit crime or have psychological issues. 
So I don't know whether you have a good relationship with your father or a poor relationship. I don't know whether you're mourning the fact your father has gone and you have a sense of loss. I don't know whether you're struggling to be a father and you're not sure how to be a father. Along comes Christ and he has fatherly care for you in the best sense. And therefore there is not just joy, there is joy, joy, joy. Well, this morning we're looking at wonderful counsel. Let me just make two brief comments and then apply it as we close. First, the name is both wonderful and counselor. They go together. The one describes the other. They're not two separate names, they're together. Then, the name wonderful suggests supernatural. His name is a wonder. It's beyond this world, above and beyond what you can consider. It is full of wonder. Second, the counselor aspect of the name suggests Christ's role as wise giver of insight and truth. That is, his counsel, his teaching, his instruction is wonderful. It is His teaching is so extraordinary, it alone would suggest his divinity, his divine nature. It is full of wonder. It is a wonder. When you read the New Testament, you get this coming across over and over again, that this Christ is such an extraordinary, wonderful counselor. So then, given that this is who the Christ is, wonderful counselor, given that this Christ comes, remember the picture, you're in the darkest possible place you could be, and then the light shines. (sighs) Given that this is the light shining in our darkness, Given that his person is above and beyond what we can ask or imagine, that is, his wisdom is wonderful, and it is for our practical daily lives. It's not just for preaching. It's not just for singing. It is for business. It is for family. It is for marriages. Given that Isaiah's overall message is Trust in God. Do not fear. Trust in God. Given that, would you then this Christmas trust fully? Lean your heart. Trust fully and completely and wholly in the person of this Christ. Lean on him as your wonderful counselor, which means going to his teaching in the Bible and trusting it. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you as well. You've got a choice between where you're going to put your resources, how you're going to use your time. You're going to orientate your time around the kingdom. Do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worries of its own. You're going to crack open the Bible. You're going to go to the New Testament. But, of course, all Scripture speaks of Christ. So you're going to go to the whole Bible. And instead of saying, this is a a pious word that I can put on the shelf and ignore when it comes to the practical 
matters of daily life and its challenges, now you're going to go to it and say, this is the life-changing word I need, and I trust this, for I trust him as my wonderful counselor. If you do that, it will change your life. Here are a couple profound Writings about it, first from John Wesley. Lo, he comes with clouds descending, once for favored sinners slain, thousand, thousand saints attending, swell the triumphs of his train. Hallelujah! God appears on earth to reign. Would you trust that? Lean your heart on that. And if you will, if you do, not just joy, 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 joy. This is what Bernard of Clairvaux said about that. Jesus, thou joy of loving hearts, thou fount of life, Thou light of men, from the best bliss that earth imparts. In other words, there are all these other entertainments and sources of joy and interests and intrigues and possible excitements. Some of them are good, some of them are not good. But from the best bliss that earth imparts. We turn unfilled to thee again. Well, let's turn to him again. Lord, we pray um, that as we do turn to you, that we would have not just joy, but joy, joy, and not just joy, joy, but joy, joy, joy. We pray as we sing in a moment the well-known carol, Joy to the World, that our... Focus on the daily challenges of our lives would find its answer in you and your wonderful counsel. And so we pray, Lord, that we would then have that light shining in a dark place and that joy reverberating through our hearts and minds. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and his name shall be called 
wonderful counsellor.